the strange thing was I had just had really unresponsive kidney infections. So I had been on three rounds of antibiotics, which I hadn't been psychotic in five years. And suddenly I was experiencing, by the second dose of the antibiotic, I was completely psychotic. I thought she'd put my brain in a jar on a shelf and I could no longer move my arms and my body. And I'm asking her repeatedly to give me my brain back. My psychiatrist was like, well, you gotta go back on meds. And I'm like, yeah, no, I think it's a good issue because I didn't start having problems until my second dose of an antibiotic. So I'm not addressing it with meds this time because I've been off meds for two years. I'm not going back there. And I met this new doctor and he's like, oh yeah, it's totally candidiasis. And I, I mean, I laughed that guy to score and I really did. So my eyes were opened. I thought it was all just a dopamine issue, but I didn't know there were 27 different causes of those kinds of symptoms. There is an interesting book written by Dr. Carl Pfeiffer. And in it, he actually outlines 27 different causes of psychosis. And only one of those could be addressed by antipsychotics. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, remediescounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews podcast. It is hard to know where to begin in describing what Sarah Price Hancock shares in part three of our interview. Sarah imparts so much information about things that helped her regain health and may help you and things that hurt her health and may hurt you. Sarah tells how a correct diagnosis and stopping inappropriate psych meds resulted in losing a hundred plus pounds and getting back to her high school weight. She tells about how when she started to treat her liver, even though her liver tests were normal, her health and quality of life improved. Perhaps most importantly, Sarah tells us about finding a doctor who approaches psychiatric issues as an autoimmune and toxicity problem and addresses it with appropriate nutrient support. This is what stopped the voices in Sarah's head that were telling her to kill herself 24 hours, seven days a week. Sarah also tells us about when she got a kidney infection and needed antibiotics 
The psychosis and voices in her head returned. What did the psychiatrist want to do? Give her psych meds, of course. Every symptom looks like a nail if your only approach is to use the hammer of psych meds. Sarah says we need to encourage psychiatry to get back to their roots of an orthomolecular approach. Trauma cannot be treated with ECT or psych meds. Research shows trauma causes physiological changes to the gut biome. And that is why Sarah has started an international petition to create standards for ECT to make patients safer. And so they don't experience the same devastating side effects Sarah endures. If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. If you've had your own experience with medical error that is impacting your life today and need the support of an experienced counselor, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Sarah Price Hancock and a word of warning that some people may be distressed by Sarah's experiences with the healthcare system. Okay. Um, and one of the pictures you sent to me, you're much larger than you are now. Oh, yes. Well, part of that has to do with uh, my underlying diagnosis was hepatic encephalopathy. And then I had uh, metabolic syndrome because they had me on five classes of psychiatric meds. So at my heaviest, I was 250 pounds. Um, once I got off psychiatric medication and began using micronutrition, um, I did begin to lose weight. And then when we correctly identified that it was actually a liver issue, that I was having, uh, you know, that I had hepatic encephalopathy, and we correctly addressed the fungal infection that I was dealing with, um, my weight has steadily dropped. And I'm actually, with the exception of Christmas, <laughs> I dropped more than 100 pounds. Um, I got down back to the weight that I was in high school, 135 pounds. Um, and so I'm back in an appropriate BMI range. And it's amazing, you know, if I was always, I'd eat something and I'd immediately balloon up and you know we didn't understand that i had fungal edema i had uh my you know what i was eating was directly my because my liver was struggling so badly um even though it wasn't showing up on liver function tests when we started addressing liver issues my health began radically improving even though my functional liver testing was normal. So I do have a strong liver. I've never drank anything in my life, um, but I was living with uh, chronic candidiasis from overprescribed uh, antibiotics. So once we started addressing it with antifungal medication, 
both um, both pharmaceutical antifungal medication. I was on two different forms. And also I was using, um, I, I had an integrated health doctor, so he also had me on uh, antifungal herbal protocol. Um, his website you can find um, is candidamd.com. Um, and so he kind of goes into how overprescribed antibiotics can impact, you know, fatigue issues, psychiatric issues, basically autoimmune issues. He actually addresses psychiatric issues kind of more as an autoimmune illness. Um, and so he looks at he looks at psychiatric illnesses as a from a different, completely uh, perspective than mainstream psychiatry. It's, he looks at it more from an orthomolecular uh, approach. So we were looking at toxic toxicity issues and just a variety of things. Um, but I lost, I started with him uh, in January of 2017. And then... I was losing, you know, I got on his diet, which is outlined in the book, An Extraordinary Power to Heal by Bruce Seaman. Um, I was on all five steps of that protocol at once. Dr. Seaman has you eliminate, you know, just eliminate this, just eliminate this. And, you know, if that doesn't work, then you eliminate this as well. My doctor said, you're so far gone, we're eliminating everything at once. <laughs> and the strange thing was I had just had a really unresponsive kidney infection. So I had been on three rounds of antibiotics, which I hadn't been psychotic in five years. And suddenly I was experiencing, by the second dose of the antibiotic, I was completely psychotic. My psychiatrist was like, well, you gotta go back on meds. And I'm like, yeah, no, I think it's a good issue because I didn't start having problems until my second dose of an antibiotic. So. I'm not addressing it with meds this time because I've been off meds for two years. I'm not going back there. And I met this new doctor and he's like, oh yeah, it's totally candidiasis. And I, I mean, I laughed that guy to scorn. I really did. Because I teach psychiatric rehabilitation and diagnostics at school. <laughs> he's telling me that my particular cause was this. I didn't know there were 27 different causes of those kinds of symptoms. And so my eyes were opened. I thought it was all just a dopamine issue, but I mean, I've witnessed this doctor turn people around using a variety of techniques, including infused. I became catatonic when I was on the antibiotic for the, for the kidney infection, and he immediately recognized what was happening, and he did an IV push of um, glutathione he did two pushes massive pushes of glutathione um and then i went upstairs and started working because i was actually working at his office as a researcher by that point so it was just <laughs> i mean he took me from telling the nurse that i needed my brain back i thought she'd put my brain in a jar on a shelf and i could no longer move my arms and my body and i'm asking her repeatedly to give me my brain back she runs upstairs and gets the doctor he runs downstairs sees me and says we gotta get glutathione in her he just they immediately did a glutathione two glutathione pushes intravenously and they were after let's see he did one waited for 40 minutes and then did a second one and then i was like 
it was like everything cleared up and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, okay, I'm ready to go to work. <laughs> they were like, maybe we need to let you rest for a bit. And <laughs> it, was, it was really funny because the doctor was like, nope, she's clean, she's cleared out. And you know, I had other issues where they they'd prescribe something we didn't realize I was overly sensitive to. It would trigger a really gnarly uh, akathisia response where I couldn't stop pacing and I felt like I had fire ants go coursing through my veins. I was so beyond agitated, ear agitated, like behavioral gnarly nastiness, screaming at colleagues, my poor colleagues. And the doctor would show up to work and he's like, give her an IV of ALA now, stat. And so they'd, you know, get me into the IV room, give me an IV of ALA. And it was like, I could go home and actually sleep. It was just, it was so weird addressing these psychiatric issues using orthomolecular medicine. I was so used to using psychiatric medication that would take four to six weeks to work or even longer when I would become catatonic and they'd turn to ECT, you know, after 18 months of non-responsiveness. And suddenly I have this doctor who's just like whipping in the, you know, IV ALA or IV glutathione and having these rapid improvements. I mean, if you think about it, they use shock treatments because people have become catatonic, because they've become unresponsive, because they're suicidal, because they're extremely agitated, and you know, these nasty, gnarly problems. And so they say, well, ECT causes a rapid response. And my doctor's like, give her an IV of ALA or an IV of glutathione, depending on the symptoms. And let's see if there's a rapid response. And it was actually faster than ECT without the headache, without the, you know, the gnarly impact on the brainstem. <laughs> so it's just, you know, there is a risk benefit and we, we really need to encourage psychiatry to get back into their roots with, you know, orthomolecular psychiatry, identifying the underlying causes. If it's not a biological cause like a toxicity issue or a physiologic issue like a brain injury or some sort you know trauma cannot be addressed with these psychiatric medications or with shock um, and trauma impacts the gut we've we there's research about how trauma physiologically changes the gut biome we know the gut biome is connected to the brain there's more neurotransmitters in the gut than there are in the brain. That's why we call it our second brain. So, you know, we really need to address all of the resources that are out there, tap into all of them to better treat those who are experiencing the myriad of problems associated with toxicity, trauma, um, hormonal imbalances, dietary problems, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, ALA, what is that? Alpha lipoic acid. The interesting thing about alpha lipoic acid is I cannot take it orally. It causes gnarly nastiness. <laughs> but it is a precursor for glutathione. When I take it intravenously, um, it has a very nice, good calming effect. Um, and it is a precursor for glutathione. Um, but 
I've witnessed that doctor, we would have patients who would come in completely aggravated, mixed mania, you know, which means that they have all of the symptoms of depression and all of the impulsivity and irritation and nastiness of mania. Um, he'd immediately hook them up to an IV of ALA and they would actually, some of them would fall asleep in the chair. It's important that we would make sure they've eaten before because ALA, if you are predisposed to um, low blood sugars, um, it's important to make sure you've eaten protein, obviously, before you have it because it can cause a reduction in blood sugar. Um, but if you've eaten before you have it, it's not an issue. Um, so we would... It, and it was it was exciting because we witnessed these people, their blood sugars would maintain st stable, and yet they would calm down that even after, you know, 73, 72 hours of not being able to sleep, you would watch them begin to get drowsy because their brain was finally calming down and their brain was like finally saying, oh my gosh, now I can go back to sleep. Now I can reset. Um, so it's just... I think a lot of doctors don't know what they don't know, and they're so focused on this one particular paradigm that everything looks like a nail because they have a hammer. And in reality, real sustainable healing uses an entire wellness toolbox. You're not going to need a hammer for everything. You need all of your different socket wrenches, you need your sanders, you need, you know, everything. So using all of your wellness tools to create your own personal medicine, you know, those activities that you do to keep yourself well, recognizing how certain activities help you, recognizing when you should do those activities, recognizing how it helps you and why you use them, um, and gathering as many of those activities together as possible to create your own personal medicine um, can really mitigate um, the need for additional medication. I recognize there can be a need for medication. I mean, my symptoms were psychiatric. Psychiatric medication made me worse, but I did need medication in antifungal form to eliminate the psychiatric symptoms. So, you know, everyone's symptoms are caused from something different. Our bodies are so unique. Um, there are so many different causes of these problems. Um, we had a, a gentleman whose son had acute ADD, ADHD, behavioral problems. And come to find out their wall he, this child shared the bathroom wall um, with his bedroom. And when they tore open that wall, it was all black mold within the wall. Um, and the entire family had been impacted. The father was experiencing treatment-resistant depression. Um, had he, and he had even undergone ECT for it. Um, but he was exposed to the mitotoxins of the mold in the walls of his own home. Um, his son had major problems. They thought they'd, he'd never be able to be independent, um, living independently. He was in his 20s now, and they don't know how long that wall had been exposed, you know, 
with black mold between the walls. There's no black mold visual in his closet. There's no black mold visible in his, in the bathroom. But when they tore open that wall, they were like, oh my gosh, we got to get out of this house immediately. And they had to move because they recognized that, you know, this child and the father were severely impacted by the mold in the house. So it's just, there's so many things we don't fully understand yet, and we really need to learn as much as we can so that we can address our symptoms from every angle possible. What happened to that father and son? Um, I lost contact with them because I no longer work at that clinic. Um, but I know the father had chosen to move into a location that was close to the beach, which is not going to help mold exposure because um, it would still have all of the humidity and everything. So mold um, is insidious. <laughs> we have people who do have these toxic mold exposures. They don't realize that they need to start from scratch. Um, they need to do, you know, they can't bring the, the clothing and the damaged things from their one home, move them into the next home and expect mold to not replicate. Mold is like the most obedient organism in the world it's always it only needs warmth and moisture to continue growing so even if you initially have a better experience in a new house if you don't start from scratch you've just brought all of the spores into your new house from your old house and you're going to start having the same problems again so yeah yeah i interviewed eric johnson who's known yeah. as a mold, mold warrior totally totally yeah mm -hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about what is orthomolecular medicine? So orthomolecular medicine looks at micronutrition. It looks at phospholipids. It looks at, you know, your mineral balance. It looks at your vitamin balance. It looks at the tissue structure and, you know, what your tissue and your cells are actually made of um, and addresses those maybe deficiencies or insufficiencies um, and addresses the balance in that. Um, looks at toxicity, looks at uh, in a variety of forms, you know, it could be metal toxicity, it could be um, like I was having internally with the candidiasis, it could be any number of things. But there is an interesting book written by Dr. Carl Pfeiffer. He was the, he's the late director of the Princeton's Brain and Bio uh, Clinic. And it's just this, oh, normally I have the book on my table. It's just this really teeny tiny, you know, 100 page book. And in it, he actually outlines uh, 27 different causes of psychosis, psychiatric or schizophrenia symptoms. And only one of those uh, could be addressed by the antipsychotics. So it was just really interesting because, you know, there's no need to medicate someone with something they don't need. We need to address the underlying cause of their symptoms. And when someone has toxicity, depending on where their genetic weaknesses is, that toxicity is going to manifest in a variety of different ways. In one person, it might look like ADD or ADHD. In another person, it might look like arthritis. You know, so it really depends on where the person's un unique 
vulnerabilities lie. But if we can address the underlying cause of these symptoms, then you can actually enjoy sustainable healing instead of this, you know, fly by night, we got you on a psychiatric medication, we finally found the right cocktail for you. And in three to five years, that cocktail will no longer work and you're going to have to find a new one for you. Oh, and it took you 12 years to find this initial right cocktail. I mean, like I circled through 37 different combinations of psychiatric medications before they found the right cocktail for me. Um, and even that cocktail, I was, still see, I was still hearing voices. I was still seeing things. I was still having mood problems. It just wasn't to the extremes that I was previously having them. And so, you know, once you get on the correct treatment, it's not going to be an issue of maintaining, you know, rigidly maintaining stability. It's going to be life enhancing because these symptoms are going to start ebbing and then they're going to resolve and they're going to go away. And there is actual real recovery if you're not completely injured and damaged by other treatments. I remember uh, reading a study that was looking at the outcomes of psychiatric patients in the developed world and the developing world. Mm -hmm. And the outcomes, and I think they were looking at schizophrenia and depression, and the outcomes were much better in the developing world. And the difference was that they were only using psychiatric meds for short term, six weeks, three months during the acute phase. Whereas yeah. in in our world, it's you're on them forever as far as they're concerned. Yeah, and that's because in, in Western medicine, they don't realize that these medications cause a altering of the regulatory uptake or reuptake of these neurotransmitter receptors. They're either upregulated or they're downregulated. And so then when you remove that brace, essentially the central nervous system has been braced and forced to work, forced to function. And then it's gotten used to that. Like you wouldn't want to use a cast for longer than you need to. You wouldn't want to use an, an ankle brace or a knee brace for longer than you need to. But we forced the, the, the nerves, the nervous system to work. And then we remove that like some doctors do it overnight okay you, we're gonna we're gonna take you off this combination and put you on this one overnight it addresses kind of the same neurotransmitter receptors so we should be able to balance you within six to eight weeks you know and they don't realize that they're literally taking people who've been on these medications for at times years and even decades and taking them off the medication, expecting their central nervous system to just be able to immediately re-regulate and, and function in a way that it hasn't for months or years or even more than a decade. And so people think, oh, they're having a reoccurrence of symptoms, when really when you remove the brace, then it causes a paradoxical effect. So the symptoms are actually caused by removing the treatment that was keeping those symptoms at bay. So, you know, there's not too much research into the longitudinal effects of, of antidepressants or antipsychotics or that doctors look at 
their patients going off these medications and having a reoccurrence of symptoms as a worsening of the illness. When in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, if the person's been on medications for a sustained amount of time, it's actually a withdrawal effect or a withdrawal syndrome. So we were noticing that with my body when I met this new doctor, the Candida MD, Dr. Humiston, we were recognizing that if we supported my body enzymatically using protein isolate, we could mitigate these withdrawal symptoms because my body had the, the, the nutrition and the support that it needed enzymatically to keep itself working. So like I was using protein isolate um, at times, depending on the physical stress, like if I was stuck in a place where I was sweating a lot or, you know, stuck in a hot room or, or if I'd done a lot of exercise, my body would burn through this. My body would over, you know, hypo, hyper metabolize these things, which would cause what looked like psychiatric symptoms, but were really withdrawal syndrome. And then we'd support it and the psychiatric symptoms would go away. This is, doesn't make sense, but it does make sense if you think of the central nervous system as being damaged and then resupporting the central nervous system. So it was just, it was a really interesting research project that I had the opportunity to work on uh, with him and witness a lot of people going through that protocol. He, I, I was working on researching uh, infusion process uh, that was called uh, NeuroRecover, which is an infusion of NAD coupled with targeted amino acids. Um, and so there are five different formulations of NeuroRecover and the QEEG scans of the people before NeuroRecover and after NeuroRecover were just dramatic. They would have, depending on the kind of medication they'd been on, they would either an overactive you know, hyperactive brain or an underactive, not unresponsive brain. And then we would give them the, their body nutrients. And it was like their body was able to say, oh, thank you. I've been needing this. I've been needing that. And now I can better. It was basically, it was just fascinating watching people that the symptoms of withdrawal that people were experiencing were reduced by like 60 to 70%. So they, they, it wasn't as acute. And it, it actually, I had been in protracted withdrawal syndrome um, for two years. I'd been off medication for two years when I did the neurorecovery infusions. And immediately it turned off my akathisia. It turned off, it, it, Within several days of treatment, I began sleeping again, whereas previously I was only sleeping for like 30 minutes at a time. Um, I began sleeping four hours, and then I began sleeping six hours, and then I'd even, you know, by the end of the process, I was even getting eight, eight and nine hours of sleep a night. Um, so it was just really fascinating that when we give the body the nutrition it needs, it can help, you know, like re-establish itself and find it re, re find its homeostasis i just recently uh interviewed and published the interview with a young man who he was when he was nine and ten they started him on antidepressants and antipsychotics oh, and then when 10? he was yeah and then when he was 19 they added in 
another one I can't remember, but when he was 21, he started to do the research on these medications and was just mm -hmm. horrified to find out. But I think what prompted him to do the research was he started to have experienced sexual dysfunction. So wow. our, our conversation was about post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. Yeah, that was, that's something that I've experienced. Um, very heartbreaking. Um, but the exciting thing is for me, the neuro recover infusions actually fixed that problem. Um, so I began experiencing a sex life that I'd, I'd never knew was possible because I'd never had an active sex life before um, I got married. And then until we had the neuro recover, all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is why people enjoy sex. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Okay, I get it now. Because <laughs> like the first, <laughs> the first 43 years of my life, I was like, yeah, no, no thanks. Um, but it was just because I was living with those side effects of the SSRIs. I was living with the side effects of all the psychiatric medication and the encephalopathy and the electrical injury and all of it. And it, it, my symptoms are spiraling like this. They're, I have windows of good, but I've recently lost the ability to have windows of good while upright and seated and you know for longer periods of time. And I'm going to be living a life basically in a reclined position, which doesn't leave you very many options for getting out and enjoying life and really limits what you can do with your family, what you can do as a, as a human. You have to really tap into the rehabilitation community and find all of those adaptive things so that you can continue and improve you know, your quality of life. Because at this point, for people with a history of shock treatment, they do not have rehabilitation resources. They do not have access to them. And so I'm working to change that. And I'm hoping that I can before I'm unable to. Well, I, I haven't lost all hope that you'll recover because <laughs> I've interviewed some people who I just can't believe that they recovered like Jeff Wood three years of being completely bed bound and yeah. now is practically completely uh, healthy. Yeah, I'm, we're, we are looking into the CCI. Um, I think that that will improve a lot of the CCI problems, but we are just not really sure what to do with the microhemorrhaging and gliosis and myelin sheath damage from the brainstem injuries. So, so you wanted to make sure that people were aware of some of the type of testing that they should go for. And I think you mentioned the uh, brainstem potential. Is that one of them? Yes, it, it's the brainstem auditory uh, and visual evoked potential testing. So evoked potential testing is, is basically an EEG where they hook up all the electrodes to your head. But then instead of just you know, turning lights on and off or having you hyperventilate um, like they would for a standard 
test that would identify the problems in this part of the brain, they're actually going to overstimulate you auditorially. So they're going to do clicking in your, in your ears and see how your brain responds to that. And then they're going to do flashing patterns, moving patterns to see how your body responds to that. Um, also a VNG or a video nystagmography, I think it's what it's called, where they have you um, wear the ski mask that has, uh, it's, has um, cameras in the Goggles. mask, yeah, that measure and track your eye pupils. So they measure your eye pupil, how they react to light and how they react to movement. And then they also react your ability or measure your ability to track things. Um, so those tests also, um, those can identify brainstem or central issues, brainstem issues as well, and also central issues in general. When I say central issues, I mean like brain injury, injury issues. They can evoke the problem so that they're actually recorded um, and not because too often people are, you know, these symptoms are so all over the map, inconsistent, you know, they happen sometimes and not others. Um, but they're the research shows that there's, you know, myoclonic seizures involved. So like when the last, we'll have to go back and look at the last video, but when I started having problems with one side of my face and I was having problems with my eye drooping and then my eye fluttering, um, you know, was that a myoclonic seizure? We have to start looking at these issues um, in people with a history of electrical injury, especially in people with history of shock treatments, um, because there is enough substantial research out there demonstrating that the neuropathology of autopsy in animals and humans does connect with the symptoms we're seeing in the people. Um, so cranial nerve damage, you know, there's various cranial nerves that are involved in speech and uh, gait and facial, you know, all of it. Um, so getting that brain stem and evoked potential testing will test those uh, cranial nerves as well. And then um, having the 3T, eventually, uh, hopefully the 7T MRI will be available for people. And they need to, it's not just 3T MRI, they have to get it with special sequencing. So there's the SWI sequencing, which uh, looks at microhemorrhaging um, and that can identify microhemorrhaging in live people um, better than just a standard CT or a standard uh, MRI can. So 3T MRI, SWI, an MR, excuse me, a DTI sequencing on an MRI is also important to see how um, everything's moving in the brain. And then also an MRA uh, sequencing on an MRI because they've noticed that, you know, there's research out there about the uh, blood-brain barrier and how the blood-brain barrier, you know, isn't really impacted by shock treatments or the hypotemptive surge of, you know, shock treatments. But if you look at the analysis and the methodology 
of that research, it's a they like analyzed the blood brain barrier of 12 cats. And seven of those cats, their blood brain barrier was initially disrupted, but then sealed entirely. And so everything was good. And so they conclude that, you know, the blood brain barrier is not affected by shock treatment. But the abstract doesn't acknowledge that five of those cats actually died and that they, their blood brain barrier did not reseal. So, you know, five of 12 cats, how many of how many humans that experience ECT have a blood brain barrier that doesn't reseal? And so, you know, anything I breathe in these days doesn't matter if it's a skunk, if it's someone's cologne, if it's uh, gas from my own stove in my house with the fan on. Um, I have these events because it goes directly into my head. I have to have, I have to work hard at keeping a clean house, as you see the disarray in the background. I have to work hard at keeping, you know, the dishes out of the sink and the things in my bathroom completely clean because I react bizarrely acutely to things, car exhaust, um, just things that normal people's brains are completely protected from. I am not no longer protected from. And that's that when the delayed onset of the neurological problems kicked in, that's when the acuity of the sensitivities of the smells kicked in as well. So they're all somehow interconnected. Um, and I have to be very careful when I go into public places. At my house, I have HIPAA filtration. I've got, not only do I have, you know, three air scrubbers, but I also have uh, air conditioning. My parents completely redid the HVAC system here we're renting this house from them. They completely redid the HVAC system and I've got the HVAC man did not just the standard, you know, four inch filter and the one inch filter. He added additional filters into that. And we actually change those out like every two weeks um, for the small one inch filters. So there's things that I have to do that preclude me from going out into the community and enjoying things in buildings because the majority of buildings don't routinely clean their filters, don't routinely clean even their HVAC system. They have, you know, condensation issues in their building or mold issues with leaks and who knows, you know, friends wearing fun body cologne or, you know, it's just, there's, they're a skunk, you know, when you go outside at night and you're trying to go for a walk and suddenly get hit with the smell of a skunk, it's just, you know, there goes Sarah. Or like I went to a outside pancake breakfast and I was sitting three, no, I was sitting five feet from the propane stove. It was an entire grill they were cooking pancakes on. And I was fine, I was fine, I was fine. And then I started to slur my speech and I was like, oh, I need to get up, I need to move. I stood up and just fell right over. And they're like, but you were outside, you know, you weren't inside. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's anything that I breathe in is going to go directly to my brain because I have very little blood brain barrier.
Wow. So you have multiple chemical sensitivity on top of everything else. Yeah. Well, Sarah, it has been edifying, frightening, compelling, gratifying, inspiring to talk to you. I get to talk to a lot of really incredible people with really incredible stories, and uh, you're another one of those people. So thank you for taking the time and the energy to share. You bet. Thank you so much. And thank you for helping people get aware of the importance of getting this treatment regulated and standardized. Um, we need more signatures on that petition. I wrote it as an international petition. It is being sent to all uh, English-speaking countries of any, any other languages. If you have someone who's interested in helping me translate it so it can be used in other countries, I have people who are sharing this in their own countries um, that are non-English speaking. So it's, it's something that needs to be spoken of and discussed in a public forum. And I'm so grateful that you gave me that opportunity. Oh, thank you for sharing and uh, edifying all of us about ECT and the, uh, the risks involved in the permanent impacts that it can have. I appreciate all your work, Scott. You've met some just amazing humans. Um, and I know sharing their stories, even I've been able to pull little things out of their stories, like the CCI is not a little thing. Um, but when I took that information to my doctor, her eyes about popped out of her head and she's like, this is consistent with your injury because of the weakness in your neck from the electrical injury. So she's like, you know, we really, really, really need to look into these things. So I would not have had the opportunity to learn about that if I didn't know you and the people that you've worked with to learn about things that are helping them. Yeah, it's a small world. <laughs> it really is. It and is. it's weird that the different mechanisms of injury can cause similar symptoms. It's exciting that in some cases, when they do cause similar symptoms, they can be addressed in similar ways. So. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, one of the other things I'm sort of taking from all these interviews is the connections uh, between a lot of them, even though we're talking about different illnesses. Yeah. So uh, one final question, what is something nice that you're doing for yourself today? I'm so excited. So I was given tickets to the International Car Show. And I'm not a real big car buff, but I do enjoy cars. And they have an entire mobility section. And so today, my husband and I are taking accessible transportation, public transit. Um, he's going with me so I don't get lost. <laughs> Because all everything, you know, that happens um, with overstimulation, he's going with me and we are going to look at accessible transportation for our family so that hopefully we can get me out of the house and get me back integrated into the world. Um, so I'm really super excited. I'm so grateful to the San Diego Car Show, uh, International Car Show, for giving me these tickets because I wouldn't be able to go without. 
a gift because our family finances are have gone entirely to testing, treatment, all of the medical expenses. So I'm very, very excited to be able to explore something with my husband outside of our house in, you know, looking into other assistive technology things that might be able to better get us out of the house independently and not dependent on other people. Wow, that so. sounds wonderful. I'm really super excited. <laughs> okay, thank you, Sarah. We'll we'll chat again soon. I am sure. Okay, you take care, Scott. Thank okay. you so much for all you do. All right. Well, thank you to Sarah Price Hancock for sharing her experiences and for the advocacy work she does around bringing more awareness to ECT and her international petition. So now that you've listened to part three of my interview with Sarah, what are your thoughts about ECT? If you were suffering with depression or other mental health issue, would you undergo ECT sessions if the doctor recommended it? After hearing what Sarah is living through, do you feel there is enough information and research about ECT available to patients to make informed decisions? Informed being the key word here. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and the other major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons of the podcast get access to video versions of the interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Is medical error impacting your life today? Do you need the support of an experienced counselor? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others.